Chapter Seven of the Pit Prop Syndicate by Freeman Wills Crofts. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter Seven: The Ferriby Depot. The two friends, eager and excited by their adventure, were early astir the next morning, and after breakfast, Hilliard went out and bought the best map of the city and district he could find. Why, Ferriby's not in the town at all! He exclaimed after he had studied it for some moments. It's up the river must be seven or eight miles up by the look of it the northeastern runs through it and there's a station we better go out there and prospect merriman agreed they called for a timetable found there was a train at ten thirty five and going down to paragon station got on board after clearing the suburbs the line came down close to the river and the two friends kept a good lookout for the depot about four and a half miles out they stopped at a station called hassel then a couple miles farther their perseverance was rewarded when they saw a small pier and shed the latter bearing in the large letters on its roof the name of the syndicate another mile and a half brought them to ferriby where they alighted now what about walking back to hassel hilliard suggested and seeing what we can see they followed the station approach road inland until they reached the main thoroughfare along which they turned eastwards in the direction of hull in a few minutes they came in sight of the depot half a mile off across the fields a lane led toward it and this they followed until it reached the railway there it turned in the direction of hull and ran parallel to the line for a short distance doubling back as they learned afterwards until it reached the main road halfway to hassle the railway tracks were on a low bank and the men could just see across them to the syndicate's headquarters the view was not very good but so far as they could make out the depot was a replica of that in land's clearing a timber wharf jutted out into the stream apparently of the same size and construction as that on the river lesk behind it was the same kind of galvanized iron shed but this one besides having windows in the gables seemed the smaller of the two its back was only about a hundred feet from the railway and the space between was taken up by a yard surrounded by a high galvanized iron fence above which appeared the tops of many stacks of pit props into the yard ran a siding from the railway from a door in the fence a path led across the line to a wicket in the hedge of the lane beside which stood a beware of the trains notice there was no sign of activity about the place and the gates through which the siding entered the enclosure were shut hilliard stopped and stood looking over how the mischief are we to get near that place without being seen he questioned it's like a german pillbox there's no cover anywhere about it was true the country immediately surrounding the depot was singularly bare it was flat except for the low bank four or five feet high on which lay the railway tracks there were clumps of trees farther inland but none along the shore and the nearest building a large block like a factory with beside it a cottage was at least three hundred yards away in the whole direction seems an element of design in that eh hilliard merriman remarked as they turned to continue their walk considering the populous country we're in you could hardly find a more isolated place hilliard nodded as they turned away i've just been thinking that they could carry on any tricks they liked and no one would be the wiser they moved on toward the factory-like building it was on the inland side of the railway and the lane strung away from the line and passed what was evidently its frontage a siding ran into its rear and there were connections across the main lines and a signal cabin in the distance a few yards on the nearer side stood the cottage which they now saw was empty and dilapidated i say hilliard look there cried merriman suddenly 
they had passed along the lane until the facade of the building had come into view and they were able to read its signboard Ackroyd and bolt licensed rectifiers i thought it looked like a distillery continued merriman in considerable excitement by jove hilliard that's a find and no mistake pretty suggestive that isn't it hilliard was not so enthusiastic i'm not so sure he said slowly you mean that it supports my brandy smuggling theory just how well what do you think yourself we suspect brandy smuggling and here we find at the import end of the concern the nearest building in an isolated region is a distillery a rectifying house mind you isn't that a matter of design too how better could they dispose of their stuff than by dumping it on to rectifiers you distinguish between distillers and rectifiers certainly there's less check on rectifiers am i not right in saying that while the regulations for the measurement of spirit actually produced from the stills are so thorough as to make fraud almost impossible rectifiers because they don't themselves produce spirit but merely refine what other firms have produced are not so strictly looked after rectifiers would surely find smuggled stuff easier to dispose of than distillers hilliard shook his head perhaps so theoretically he admitted but in practice there's nothing in it neither could work a fraud like that for both are watched far too closely by our people i'm afraid i don't see that this place being here helps us surely it's reasonable to suppose that the same cause brought messrs ackroyd and bolt that attracted the syndicate just that it's a good site where in the district could you get better cheap ground and plenty of it and steamer and rail connections it's a coincidence anyway i don't see it in any case unless we can prove that the ship brings brandy the question doesn't arise merriman shrugged his shoulders good-humouredly that's a blow he remarked and i was so sure i had got hold of something good but it just leads us back to the question that somehow or other we must inspect that depot and if we find nothing we must watch the girondin unloading if we could only get near enough it would be impossible for them to discharge anything in bulk without our seeing it hilliard murmured an agreement and the two men strolled on in silence the thoughts of each busy with the problem merriman had set both were realizing that detective work was a very much more difficult business than they had imagined had not each had a strong motive for continuing the investigation it is possible they might have grown faint-hearted but hilliard had before him the visions of the kudos which would accrue to him if he could unmask a far-reaching conspiracy while to merriman the freeing of madeline coburn from the toils in which she seemed to have been enmeshed had become of more importance than anything else in the world the two friends had already left the distillery half a mile behind when hilliard stopped and looked at his watch ten minutes to twelve he announced as we have nothing to do let's go back and watch that place something may happen during the afternoon and if not we'll look out for the workmen leaving and see if we can pick up something from them they retraced their steps past the distillery and depot then creeping into a little wood sat down on a bank within sight of the enclosure and waited the day was hot and somewhat enervating and both enjoyed the relaxation in the cool shade they sat for the most part in silence smoking steadily and turning over in their minds the problems with which they were faced before them the country sloped gently down to the railway bank along the top of which the polished edge of the rails gleamed in the midday sun beyond was the wide expanse of the river with a dazzling track of shimmering gold stretching across it and hiding the low lying farther shore with its brilliancy 
a few small boats moved slowly near the shore while farther out an occasional large steamer came into view going up the fairway to Goole. every now and then trains roared past the steam hardly visible in the dry air the afternoon dragged slowly but not unpleasantly away until about five o'clock they observed the first sign of activity about the syndicate's depot which had taken place since their arrival the door in the galvanized fence opened and five figures emerged and slowly crossed the railway they paused for a moment after reaching the lane then separated four going eastwards towards the distillery the fifth coming north toward the point at which the watchers were concealed the latter thereupon moved out from their hiding place on to the road the fifth figure resolved itself into that of a middle-aged man of the laboring class slow heavy and obese in his rather bovine countenance hardly any spark of intelligence shone he did not appear to have seen the others as he approached but evinced neither surprise nor interest when hilliard accosted him any place about here you can get a drink the man slowly jerked his head to the left oopin village he answered raven bar come along and show us the way and have a drink with us hilliard invited the man grasped this and his eyes gleamed ay he replied succinctly as they walked hilliard attempted light conversation but without eliciting much response from their new acquaintance and it was not until he had consumed his third bottle of beer that his tongue became somewhat looser any chance of a job where you're working hilliard went on my pal and i would be glad to pick up something the man shook his head apparently noticing nothing incongruous in the question don't think it no harm in asking the boss anyway where might we find him down at works likely he be there most times i'd rather go to his house can you tell where he lives ay down at works but he doesn't sleep at the works surely ay sleeps in tin hut the friends exchanged glances the problem was more difficult than they had supposed a secret inspection seemed more and more unattainable hilliard continued the laborious conversation we thought there might be some stevedoring to do you've a steamer in now and then haven't you the man admitted it and after a deal of wearisome questioning they learned that the girodine called about every ten days remaining for about forty-eight hours and that she was due in three or four days finding they could get no further information out of him they left their bovine acquaintance with a fresh supply of beer and returning to the station took the first train back to hull as they sat smoking that evening after dinner they once more attacked the problem which was baffling them it seems to me hilliard asserted that we should concentrate on the smuggling idea first not because i quite believe in it but because it's the only one we have and that brings us again to the same point the unloading of the girondine merriman not replying he continued any attempt involves a preliminary visit to see how the land lies now we can't approach that place in the daytime if we try to slip round secretly we shall be spotted from those windows or from the wharf on the other hand if we invent some tale and go openly we'll give ourselves away if they have our descriptions or photographs therefore we must go at night well obviously we can only approach the place by land or water if we go by land we have either to shin up on the pier from the shore which we're not certain we can do or else risk making a noise climbing over the galvanized iron fence besides we might leave footmarks or other traces but if we go by water we can muffle our oars and drop down absolutely silently to the wharf there are bound to be steps and it would be easy to get up without making any noise merriman's emphatic nod expressed his approval good he cried warmly 
What about getting a boat tomorrow and having a try that night? I think we should. There's another thing about it, too. There should be an alarm we could get away by the river far more easily than across the country. It's a blessing there's no moon. The next day the object of their search was changed. They wanted a small, handy skiff on hire. It did not turn out an easy quest, but by the late afternoon they succeeded in obtaining the desired article. They purchased also close-fitting caps and rubber-soled shoes, together with some food for the night, a couple of electric torches, and a yard of black cloth. Then, shortly before dusk began to fall, they took their places and pulled out on the great stream. It was a pleasant evening, a fitting close to a glorious day. The air was soft and balmy, and a faint haze hung over the water, smoothing and blurring the sharp outlines of the buildings of the town and turning the opposite bank into a gray smudge. Not a breath was stirring, and the water lay like plate glass, unbroken by the faintest ripple. The spirit of adventure was high in the two men as they pulled down the great adventure of burnished gold stretching westwards towards the sinking sun. The tide was flowing, but slight effort was needed to keep them moving upstream. As darkness grew, they came nearer inshore, until in the fading light they recognized the railway station at Hassel. There they ceased rowing, drifting slowly onwards until the least faint haze of light had disappeared from the sky. They had carefully muffled their oars, and now they turned north and began sculling gently inshore. Several lights had come out, and presently they recognized the railway signals and cabin at the distillery sidings. Two or three hundred yards more, said Hilliard in low tones. They were now close to the beach, and they allowed themselves to drift on until the dark mass of the wharf loomed up ahead. Then Hilliard dipped his oars and brought the boat silently alongside. As they had imagined from their distant view of it, the wharf was identically similar in construction to that on the river Lesk. Here also were the two lines of piles, like the letter V, one in front vertical, the other raking to support the earthwork behind. Here in the same relative position were the steps, and to these Hilliard made fast the painter with a slip hitch that could be quickly released. Then with the utmost caution both men stepped ashore, and slowly mounting the steps, peered out over the deck of the wharf. As far as they could make out in the gloom, the arrangement here also was similar to that in France. Lines of narrow-gauge tramway, running parallel from the hut towards the water, were connected along the front of the wharf by a cross-road and turntables. Between the lines were stacks of pit-props, and Docoville trucks stood here and there. But these details they saw afterwards. What first attracted their attention was that the lights shone in the third and fourth windows from the left-hand end of the shed the manager evidently was still about we'll go back to the boat and wait hilliard whispered and they crept down the steps at intervals of half an hour one or the other climbed up and had a look at the windows on the first two occasions the light was unchanged on the third it had moved to the first and second windows and on the fourth it had gone apparently indicating that the manager had moved from his sitting-room to his bedroom and retired we had better wait at least an hour more hilliard whispered again Time passed slowly in the darkness under the wharf, and in a silence broken only by the gentle lapping of the water among the piles. The boat lay almost steady, except when a movement of one of its occupants made it heel slightly over and started a series of tiny ripples. It was not so cold, and had the men not been so full of their adventure, they could have slept. At intervals Hilliard consulted his luminous dialed watch, but it was not until the hands pointed to the half-hour after one that they made a move. Then, once more, they softly ascended to the wharf above. The sides of the structure were protected by railings which ran back to the gables of the tin house, the latter stretching entirely across the base of the pier. Over this space thus enclosed the two friends passed, but it speedily became apparent that here nothing of interest was to be found. 
beyond the stacks of props and wagons there was literally nothing except a rusty steam winch a large water butt into which was led the downspout from the roof a tank raised on a stand and fitted with a flexible pipe evidently for supplying crude oil for the ship's engines and a number of empty barrels in which the oil had been delivered with their torch carefully screened by the black cloth the friends examined these objects particularly the oil tank which forming as it did a bridge between ship and shore naturally came in for its share of suspicion but they were soon satisfied that neither it nor any of the other objects were connected with their quest and retreating to the edge of the wharf they held a whispered consultation hilliard was for attempting to open one of the doors in the shed at the end away from the manager's room but merriman obsessed with the idea of seeing the unloading of the girondine urged that the contents of the shed were secondary and that their efforts should be confined to discovering a hiding place from which the necessary observations could be made if there was any way of getting inside one of these stacks of props he said we could keep a perfect watch i could get in now for example you relieve me tomorrow night i relieve you the next night and so on nothing could be unloaded that we wouldn't see but he added regretfully i doubt even if we could get inside that we should be hidden besides they might take a notion to load the props up afraid that is hardly the scheme hilliard answered then went on excitedly but there's that barrel perhaps we could get into that the barrel that's the ticket merriman was excited in his turn that is if it has a lid they retraced their steps with the tank they did not trouble it was a galvanized iron box with the lid riveted on and moreover was full of oil but the barrel looked feasible it was an exceptionally large cask or butt with a lid which projected over its upper rim and which entirely protected the interior from view it was placed in the corner beside the right-hand gable of the shed that is the opposite end of the manager's rooms and the wooden downspout from the roof passed in through a slot cut in the edge of the lid a more ideal position for an observation post could hardly have been selected try to lift the lid whispered hilliard they found it was merely laid on the rim cleats nailed on below preventing it from slipping off they raised it easily and hilliard flashed in a beam from his electric torch the cask was empty evidently a result of the long drought that'll do merriman breathed that's all we want to see come away they lowered the cover and stood for a moment hilliard still wanted to try the doors of the shed but merriman would not hear of it come away he whispered again we've done well why spoil it they returned to the boat and there argued it out merriman's proposal was to try to find out when the girondine was expected then come the night before bore a few eye-holes in the cask and let one of them properly supplied with provisions get in and assume watch the other one would row away rest and sleep during the day and return on the following night when they would exchange rolls and so on until the girondine left in this way he asserted they must infallibly discover the truth at least about the smuggling do you think we could stand twenty-four hours in that barrel hilliard questioned of course we could stand it we've got to come on hilliard it's the only way it did not require much persuasion to get hilliard to fall in with the proposal and they untied their painter and pulled silently away from the wharf the tide had turned and soon they relaxed their efforts and let the boat drift gently downstream the first faint light appeared in the eastern sky as they floated past hassel and for an hour afterwards they lay in the bottom of the boat smoking peacefully and entranced by the gorgeous pageant of the coming day not wishing to reach hull too early they rowed inshore and landing in a little bay lay down in the lush grass and slept for three or four hours 
Then re-embarking, they pulled and drifted on, until, between seven and eight o'clock, they reached the wharf at which they had hired their boat. An hour later, they were back at their hotel, recuperating from the fatigues of the night with the help of cold baths and a substantial breakfast. End of chapter 7